Amen. Romans chapter 5. You have an outline, so you can follow along this morning. And uh, as we come to Romans chapter 5, we are actually, well, we're changing our tone. We're not changing our subject. The tone changes here. And what I mean by that is that Paul has been very didactic. He's been teaching us, instructing us along. Some of the things have been difficult. He's talked in Romans 1 through 3, chapters 1 through 3, about total depravity. Not a pleasant subject at all, but a very true subject. And because of total depravity, we need Jesus Christ the Lord. We need the Holy Spirit to change our hearts. And so he starts talking about that. Uh, when we, in fact, I'll just read it to you because it's so blessed. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. I'm not going to expound it again, but just to read it. Romans 3.21, but now, after talking about total depravity, the law, how the law operates, all these things, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there's no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And then... He goes on, where's boasting then? It's excluded by what law of works? No, by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. And so that's a nice summation of where we've been and uh, the very remedy that we've needed. Some big words there, but uh, hopefully as you followed along that uh, is not a problem to you. But if it is, you can always ask. Uh, feel free to always ask. And we're always glad to talk about the scriptures, talk about the Lord. And so we had righteousness given to us. Abraham becomes an example of that righteousness in chapter 4. And now we come to chapter 5 and, and new material. And, um, you know, as we do that, you can follow along on your outline, if you would, the benefits which come from justification. And we're going to have to talk about justification again, but this is the benefits that come from it. And as we come to verse number 1 of chapter 5, uh, we find um, a therefore to start with. It's been said many, many times, you know, but we'll say it again because it's nice to hear it. Whenever you see therefore in the scriptures, find out what it's there for. There's a reason for it. It's not just a throwaway word. There's a reason that it exists. And this one is a transitional word that sums up everything we've seen so far and then takes us to new material. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we've received, oh, sorry, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope at the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit 
who was given to us. <clears throat> it well could be some of those words were a little different in, in your particular translation. Uh, we're going to be talking about that. We'll be going to the Greek a little bit this morning. Um, so just because it, it helps to flesh out uh, what we're talking about. And so there was no need for a division, but I think it was kind of a nice place to put a, a chapter division here uh, because it kind of shows us the sum up of everything. Therefore, so there you go. Now, the first thing we see is having been justified. Having been justified. Paul's no longer arguing his case. He's no longer like a lawyer. Instead, now he's preaching his case. He's encouraging the people of God, showing them what we have in Jesus Christ. Therefore, having been justified by faith. Okay, now that's not the first point on the outline, but it's an important point to make. Peace is our first point on the outline, but having been justified. As you look at that, it, in, in the Greek, this is a great English translation, by the way, uh, English works a lot like the Greek does so many times. Having been justified. It's something that has happened to Christians. We have been justified. And because it's in the aorist in the Greek, it kind of tells us something. Uh, aorist is generally something that happened one time. That's generally. There's, there's, it's a little broader than that. It gets a little more complicated than that. But generally, it's something that happened one time. This happened one time for Christians. You're not justified over and over and over and over again. There comes a point where you are justified. It's the work of God. It's a one-time declarative act. You know, in reality, it's not even something that you know has happened to you. You don't feel it. There really is no change yet the change has taken place in the courtroom of God when he says, this one is justified. My son's you know, work has been imputed to him and my son's death and resurrection and life have been imputed to him. It's not infused. The Catholic Church, some of you have a Catholic background. If you were to talk to a Roman Catholic that knows his theology, he would tell you that your righteousness is infused by God. Okay, what's the difference between infused and imputed? Imputed is something that is said over you and declared about you. Okay, not your doing. Infused is the idea, and, and this is just about every man-made religion, by the way. Infused is something that God does for you, but then you have to make use of it and you have to do something about it. He gives you the ability to come to him, but uh, really it's going to be up to you to do it. And that's the Roman Catholic Church. That's why infused righteousness is, is their doctrine, and it's why over and over and over again, you go to the Mass, you go to confession, uh, you, you, all these sorts of things that you need to do, and then hope that you make it uh, to have the priest over you to give you last rites. Okay. And then, and then, boom, you're in. Okay, that, that's kind of the idea here. But it's not right. It's wrong. It's, in, it's imputed righteousness. And peace is the first benefit that's mentioned that flows from justification. Now, technically, 
we wanted to be a little more technical and the theological about this, uh, we would just say, well, the first benefit that flows is, of course, justification. From justification flows adoption and sanctification. Okay, but um, that's not what Paul's trying to do here. He's trying to make another point. Adoption, of course, is a wonderful thing. That's uh, the moment after justification. We are now part of God's family. We've been taken from the family of Satan and uh, from Adam's family and been put into Christ. And that will be, of course, coming up later in Romans chapter 5. So the next moment after justification, we become sons and daughters of God by adoption. And guess what? We still aren't even totally aware of this yet. We have not consciously come to faith and repentance yet. But we surely will. And we have to. And we must. And this we call conversion. Conversion is the work that God always does. And sometimes it's just like that, momentarily, between these actions. And some of you realize it, it you know, you kind of were interested, but not really sure. And you're waiting. And then God changed your heart. And guess what flows out of a changed heart? Faith and repentance flows out of a changed heart. And that faith and repentance is God's gift to you. And it will always absolutely come to everyone that's justified, to everyone that uh, is adopted into the family of God. And of course, um, with the conversion, we then have uh, the, the whole aspect of sanctification. The sanctification process begins. We are now fully aware of God, we, we're, we're learning, some, some more, some less. But, and some have remarkable conversion experiences. They can remember those experiences. They know exactly when they happened. They can actually tell when faith and repentance becomes part of their life. Others, it's a slow process. Not as dynamic, not, not as life altering. It's a change that takes place gradually. But either way, it's the work of God, the work that God does in the heart. And justification will always end, or always come to adoption. It'll always come to conversion. It'll always come to faith and repentance. And it'll always be part of the sanctification process that never ends until when? You could say it. When does sanctification finally reach its final end? There you go, glorification. That's it. So that's it, you know. And it's so true that all this is right and proper and what God has done that we can say that we've already been glorified. Now, I don't feel very glorified. <laughs> okay. Tell you the truth. Getting out of bed's hard sometimes, <laughs> you know. There's a lot of things that are hard, you know. My own thoughts betray me. All kinds of things happen like that, you know. But it is absolutely as certain as if it's already happened that I've been glorified. And Christian friend, you too. It's absolutely certain because it cannot fail. It's got to happen. You know what would happen if it didn't? If it didn't follow along those lines, you know what would happen? God would be a liar. God is not a liar. God cannot lie. It's impossible. 
So our first point then, that was just introductory there. Our first point is peace with God. Going to the text, peace with God. Think of the Hebrew word shalom. I know you've heard of shalom. And uh, that's a, a very, very, very interesting, very important word. You know, it kind of reminds me, well, anyway, shalom. This comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is not the peace of God. We have that. We have the peace of God. You know, but what Paul is talking about is this is peace with God. The warfare is over. We're no longer enemies. We're no longer strangers. The wrath of God no longer abides on our head. It's a change of relationship that has already taken place. And I won't take you there, but you can read that in Ephesians 2, 1 through 8. Paul talks about that uh, in, in more detail. So the emphasis needs to be put on the right place in all of this. Peace with God. It's not so much, oh, how much I love Jesus. It's, oh, how much Jesus loves me and what he's done for me. And then, second of all, we have, uh, I don't think I mentioned it, but if, if I didn't, well, I think I did mention it, actually. Been justified by faith. That's in the aorist tense, which basically tells us it's a one-time act that has already taken place. Our English tells us that, too. And any good English translation will really let you know that, having been justified. Okay, it, it just makes sense. Second of all, through whom, in verse 2, through whom we have access. Notice there's a change there, isn't there? We have access, we currently do, by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. There's two words there to, besides have access. There's two words there, by faith, into this grace in which we stand. So we have access and we stand in grace, you know. And um, the perfect tense that's here for access and stand is something that happened in the past, but it continues on and continues on and doesn't stop. So the whole tense has changed now. The tense has changed from something that happened to something that happened, but there's still continuing results of that, that show themselves. And that's access that we can have at any time. That's standing, standing before the Lord and standing for truth. And we do it, okay, by, in the, the grace of God. And then the next one, oh, by the way, access is only used two other times in the Greek by Paul. And it's a word that denotes having access to a king. Access to a king, you know. We don't have kings in America. We have people who think they're kings, but we don't have kings, you know. And so, um, you know, if, if you were to meet the king, or I'd even say uh, one of our esteemed public officials of some kind, uh, you might be a, a little nervous. You cer certainly wouldn't be flippant. Uh, you wouldn't be rude. You'd show respect, um, you know, you, you, even if you didn't like the king particularly, you'd still respect them because of who they were. Well, the Lord God Almighty 
is the greatest monarch. Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus, the creator of heaven and earth. You're not going to get higher than that. He's the only true God. So we have access by faith. Christ is now our mediator. One mediator between God and man. If you know God, if you really know him, you'll want to worship him. You'll want to be in his presence. You won't need to be hyped up by grand, glorious music or some kind of emotionalism. You won't need a spiritual pep rally. Those that really know, really know him. What's the scripture say? Well, be still and know that I'm God. And the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence. These are the kinds of, of things of awe that ought to be part of our life too. Oh, certainly. Oh, we have great joy when we sing our hymns. There's nothing wrong with that, absolutely. And maybe even quite emotional when we do. But um, just to be blunt, some places of worship are, are, are so noisy and so uproarious and attempting to create such an emotional experience that it feels like worship. But really, you know, you ever gone to a movie and cried? That wasn't a worship experience, was it? <laughs> you know, no, no. He, oh, old ship died. Oh, oh, I gave it away. Sorry. <laughs> you know. No, it, seriously, we have emotions, and there's nothing wrong with being emotional for sure. But we don't try to set an emotional situation here that uh, week after week we try to pump it up higher and higher and higher. No, that, that's not what it's about. It's simple worship, worshiping the Lord. Third of all, rejoice in the midst of trouble. Verse 3. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Wait a minute. <laughs> Glory in tribulations. You know, we, we sing one of the hymns um, that uh, Elizabeth Prentice wrote, and she said, Lord, send grief and pain. And I find myself not singing that. <laughs> when we get to that part, I'll drop out. Because <laughs> that's not really, I, I've got enough grief and pain, I feel like. But how much do I really need? What does the Lord know about tribulation? We rejoice in the midst of trouble because if it comes from the Lord's hand, it's coming for a reason, it's coming for a purpose, so it has to be good. This rejoice could mean glory, or it could mean boast, it could mean rejoice, well of course it means rejoice, it could mean to be happy. The New American Standard Bible even says celebrate. We celebrate. So <clears throat> It's probably not our normal response to tribulation. Tribulation is thalipsis. It's pressure. It's affliction. It's suffering. It's anguish. It's trouble. You know, the Greek word literally means to abide under or stay under pressure. And we all naturally want to escape pressure. But tribulation forces us to stay under it. And ultimately this produces the good fruit of perseverance, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Okay. Now most of us know what it's like to lose our joy. Have you ever been so troubled that you were miserable? Have you ever wondered where's God in all of this? Have you ever thought, 
I should have joy, but I don't. So what do you do? Well, this is why the means of grace exist, you know. The means of grace build us up in the most holy faith. And even in the dark times, we could partake in the means of grace. And, um, you know, it may be a dark period of time, but the Lord will lead us through us through it, and uh, we'll be better off for it. We'll be better off for it when we come through the other side. But no, no present trial is joyous. It's grievous. True. That's what it says in another place of Scripture. But when we keep a proper perspective, we don't give up on God because of tribulation. Instead, we persevere, and the perseverance is what it's all about. You know, here's a true story. True story, came across it, checked it out, and double-sourced it. So uh, it's true. You can look it up on the internet and find it, you know. There's a small town of Enterprise, Alabama. Enterprise, Alabama is not a big town. It's not an especially rich town, but it ended up being a blessed town. The small town uh, made their living on cotton. Cotton was their thing. Cotton was king. It wasn't a great living, but it survived. This is back in the last century. Actually, now a little bit more than the last century, in the 1800s. You know. It wasn't a great living, but the cotton was there, and that was the industry for the town. And then the boll weevil came. The boll weevils came and attacked, and there was no cotton. It was gone, totally gone. And what were they going to do? You know, it was destroyed. They couldn't grow cotton even, even anymore. By all appearances, everyone was ruined. Their livelihood was taken away. But you know what they did? They switched to growing peanuts and, and other crops and ended up doing much, much better. Things turned out much better for this little town of Enterprise, Alabama that's still there today. And um, the result? Better return, better living, things improved. And what threatened to destroy them became their source of prosperity. And this little town, what they did was they, they made a little monument. And you can see it on the internet. A monument to the boll weevil. Because the boll weevil became their source of blessing. Now, that happened in, just in the world. We as Christians have that kind of promise. When the boll weevils of life come upon us, they're coming for a good reason. Satan makes it, may desire it for evil. Other people may desire it for evil. But the Lord brings it about for good. Just ask Joseph. He'll tell you when you get to heaven. Okay. We all have boll weevil experiences. Financial reverses, professional failures, relationships that don't work out, emotional hurts, even physical pain. But by the grace of God and by his power, these same problems can be used by him to mold and shape and form us into what he would have us to be. Don't spend all your time trying to get out of your trouble. Find God in the midst of your trouble and cling to him. And that's what we do. Perseverance is next, verse 4. Um, it's the end of verse 3 and also verse 4. Perseverance or endurance depending on your translation. 
there, perseverance or endurance, it's the Greek word hupomone, you know, you're stronger today because of the trials of yesterday. And uh, I can think back on so many trials that I've had. And as you come through it, you can see that God was always there. But I'll tell you a trial that some of us have had, and I wonder if you've had it too. You know, assurance of salvation. Assurance of salvation is a really tough one. You know, when you want the Lord and you know that you need the Lord and yet you're not assured that you have the Lord. That is very, very difficult to go through and many Christians do go through that for a period of time. Some for a long period of time. Assurance of salvation is a tremendous trial. Some struggle so long and so hard but there can be an advantage to it. There can be an advantage to it. It drives you to him. It makes you cling to him. So don't give up. Persevere, my brother. Persevere, my sister. Keep clinging to him. Where else can you go? Where else can you go? Don't lose heart. You'll be better for it when it's all said and done. You know, one of the problems that we have, and um, I, I need to be careful about this, all of us do, is when we're dealing with souls, we're dealing with the, the souls of men and women and, and boys and girls, sometimes we try to give comfort a little too quickly. You know, sometimes we do. We just, um, we, we don't want to see them in pain. We don't want to see them suffering. We don't want to see them, you know, struggling. And so we try to apply the salve maybe a little too quickly. Let's remember, sometimes people need to struggle with God. Sometimes they just need to struggle. Jacob needed to struggle, and he did, and he persevered. I will not let you go till you bless me. Job, yeah, he struggled. He struggled tremendously. And then his friends came to make it worse. <laughs> you know? Well, there you go. That can happen. But in the midst of the struggles, um, Job said a lot of good things. Said a few things that probably he regretted later. You know, who are you, Job, that, you know, guess God comes to him. But I'll tell you who Job was. When it was all said and done, after Job got chewed out a little bit and straightened out, God said to the friends, he said, my servant Job will pray for you. <laughs> and there's vindication there. And then, of course, uh, the restoration was a great blessing too. But struggle, struggle like Job, Job did. And sometimes you just have to say, though I slay him, yet I will serve him. Because where else am I going to go? You have the words of eternal life. And so, you know, I, I've seen it so bad and even told, help, told people, when they were really struggling so bad, I said, okay, let's suppose that God sends you to hell. You can go to hell glorifying God then. Is that going to happen? Nobody's going to go to hell glorifying God. So, you know, that's just, that, that's just a way of saying it, you know. Though he slay me, yet I'll serve him. No, I'm going to persevere. I'm going to cling to him. I'm going to look to him because there's no other place I can go. There's no other place of refuge. He is the only one. So if it all, if I, if I spend my life, you know, serving him and worshiping him, and I end up in hell, then that's in him, up to him too. 
It ain't going to happen, my friend. It's not going to happen. Because natural man will always worship God in his own way. Not the way appointed by God. Which is by faith through our Lord Jesus Christ. Character, verse 4. Character. We're, we're going to go quickly now and, and end a little early today so we can do the things that we need to do. And uh, this, this passage gives us the ability to do that. And normally I'd have probably gone all the way to verse 11. But I purposely wanted to go a little shorter today and uh, spend a little bit more time on verses 7 through 11. There, so, or 6 through 11. But a character in verse 4. Character and then character hope. A character I found in almost every single translation. As you persevere by God's grace, God builds this character in you. It's a sign that you really are one of his children, a soul that never struggles, doesn't know him, but it builds Christian character. And what we would hope we would see, and often we do, is the gray hair that has the wisdom of God. But if you don't have the wisdom of God, I don't care if your hair is gray or not, you know, it's not going to be wisdom, not true wisdom. It's character. What a blessing to meet that Christian that's known the Lord for 30, 40, 50 years. You know, one more. It's a great blessing. And the character's been formed. And uh, we have great hopes. And, and hopefully we have role models that you can look to that are like that. That you can say, oh, look at that. You know, John and Edna Watson were, were my greatest role models in that respect of people that have lived so long and trusted in the Lord for so long. Hope, in verse 4. Perseverance, character, and character builds hope. Elpis is the Greek word, but um, it means to anticipate. Almost every translation rightfully says hope. Now abide these three, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Why? Because when you're in heaven, do you have anything to hope for? No, you already got everything. <laughs> everything has been given to you already. The hope is for now. You know, now we have hope. You know, but in heaven, there's, there's not going to have hope. We're going to already know. Do we need faith in heaven? Sight. We already see it. We, we couldn't disbelieve it. You know, we, we've been perfected, we've been glorified, and so we have faith and we have hope and we've seen the end of it, you know. But love, love continues. And, and that's why love is the greatest of all. But uh, hope, we need that. No true Christian ever comes to the end of his life and says, oh wow, I missed so many things by not living in the world. You know, if only I could have lived in the world a little bit longer and, and come to Christ a little bit later in my life, you know, maybe when I was 60, you know, I could just have all the fun. When I'm 60, I can't have fun anymore, so, you know. So, why would I, why? No, no true Christian thinks like that. Every true Christian knows that God drew him when he drew him or her, but we often think of wasted years. They're not wasted. God draws us in his time and in his way. And we need examples of those that have lived in sin 
and then have been drugged out of the very pits of sin and brought to Christ. We need examples of those that were raised in Christian families and at a young age they came to faith in Christ and they believed and they, and they stayed away from those kinds of things and don't have the scars that will always be there. Don't have the scars. But it, and it's a great blessing. And that's God's providence too. So how it comes about is up to the Lord. But Christian friend, you have a hope that one day will be your experience and reality. It's true for every Christian. But let me talk to the lost for a moment. Lost friends, whatever you hope for until you come to Christ, or unless you come to Christ, it's going to be dashed. It's going to be worse than you imagine. You are currently without hope. And it's only the grace of God that keeps you from being in hell this very moment. I'm serious about that. It's only the grace of God. You know, you need to turn to him. You need to look to him. You need to be one that cries out, Lord, help me. Lord, bless me. Lord, you know, I'm the sinner. Give me your grace. He will. He will. Absolutely. You have no hope. Christian, we live in hope. Hope is a great thing. We know our best days are before us for all eternity. And we get foretastes of it here, but the best days are yet to come. The communist hears that and says, oh, that's just the opiate of the people. You just tell people lies because their lives are so miserable. You want to just uh, make them feel like there's something better one day. Well, I think the communist probably truly believes that. But they're wrong. They're wrong. Yeah. And the reason we can rejoice in these trials is verse 5. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So we, we exalt in, in trials and tribulations, you know. We exalt in suffering because we know that it's the path to spiritual maturity and growth. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians, just in your outline there, 12, 19. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Amen. And then let me close with a Spurgeon quote. It's on your outline. I thought it was good enough that it should be there. The saints of God through the ages are witnesses that this is true, that uh, we can rejoice in these trials. Ask Abraham. He'll direct your attention to Mount Moriah. What happened there? Isaac. He's going to sacrifice Isaac. Ask Jacob, and he'll show you a stone pillow. Ask Joseph, and he'll tell you about a dungeon. Ask Moses, and he'll tell you of his trials with Pharaoh. Ask David, and he'll direct you to songs he wrote in the middle of the night. Ask Peter, and he'll speak of his denial of the Lord. Ask John, and he'll tell you of his being on Patmos. 
There's some good examples there of what we're talking about. Blessings, Spurgeon concludes with, blessings are poured out in bitter cups. So those that say the Christian life is all uh, roses and happy and all, it's false advertising, you know. False advertising. Come to Jesus, you won't get rid of all of your troubles, but you'll have one with you in the midst of trouble, and you'll have one that'll never leave you or forsake you for all eternity. And it ends in eternal life, to the praise and glory of his name. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for these precious promises that we've seen this morning. Lord, to some they would seem like fairy tales. They'd seem like fables. They'd seem like things that we tell ourselves just to try to make ourselves feel better. But to Lord, to those that know you, that truly know you, these things resonate in our hearts. And I'll admit, I do not look forward to trials and tribulations. But Father, we know that these trials and tribulations have a purpose because you love us and you're bringing us, Father, closer and closer to yourself and closer and closer to the day that we will be with you forever. So we look to you, we trust you, we thank you for Jesus Christ the Lord. In his name we pray, amen.